Hello, and welcome to the MS for Mama podcast. I'm your host, Abby Halberstadt, happy wife to this handsome man sitting beside me because we have my husband, Sean, on the episode today. Mama to 10, Bible-believing Christian. And on today's episode, we're going to keep going with a recap of our grand European adventure. And I talked Sean into coming on to the podcast today because he is the main mastermind behind all of our kind of the way that we approached how we planned it, the organization of it, the planning for logistics. He's just got a really good talent for that. He loves it so much too, right, babe? Favorite thing in the world. (laughs) The end product is worth it. Yes, yes. So he doesn't particularly necessarily want you to email him asking him to be your travel agent, (laughs) but he is happy to do it for his family and he does it well. So we had lots of questions, lots of FAQs come through on social media and email asking kind of the same things over and over again, which is the definition of an FAQ, by the way. So we're going to address some of those today, and I wanted him on here to bring his expertise to the table because not only did he plan our Grand European Adventure, but he also has planned other trips that we've been on, including my 40th birthday trip with uh, four other couples, is that right? To Savannah, Georgia, which he planned impeccably down to the last detail and was such an amazing trip. I'm telling you, he could have a second or third or fourth, whatever career this is at this point, as a travel agent. But again, he doesn't want it. So So one of the biggest FAQs we got was if you don't have a travel agent, how do you then line everything up? Like what is the starting off? What's the jumping off point for a trip of this scope? Where would you start? Well, I'd start with where do you want to go? Yeah. That would be number one. So uh, i sat down and the kids and Abby and we just talked about what are the places if we go to Europe, you know, this is probably going to be possibly a once in a lifetime type trip. So what are the set of places that we would like to go? And then kind of planning out, okay, with that set of places, where can you start and end up that makes sense for this trip? Now, when you were saying, where do we start and end up, tell them where we ended up with deciding to go first. I mean, I've talked about the itinerary some, but kind of talk through the reasoning. Why, why London first? Well, so I guess once I knew all the places we wanted to go. The and, first... and I will jump in and say the way that he did this was not simply to say, hey, kids, where do you want to go? Because our kids haven't been to Europe, so they don't necessarily know. We watched YouTube videos. He had them do their own research. He had them do some supervised web searches and they wrote down this castle that they wanted to go to and this place that they wanted to go to. So it wasn't just, hey, I feel like going to France. It was, they kind of had to do some research and homework of their own. Right. So once we kind of got the highlights from everybody in terms of what they wanted to see, uh, I think the first thing I did was actually start looking for flights and Um, In Google Flights, there's a way you can go in and search um, a range of dates and basically get a calendar of uh, prices so you can see when the prices are high and when the prices are low and then across all of Europe. Uh, So I didn't look just in one place and say, how much are the flights here? I looked kind of across Europe in the broad range of times we might go and saw that as it happens, 
uh, flying into London and out of London uh, was the cheapest for what we were looking to do. Though different times of year, you know, you could have gone to, you know, in and out of Frankfurt or in and out of, you know, somewhere in Spain or other places that uh, were, were cheaper. But it happens that uh, Air France and Delta have code sharing and you could get Air France priced tickets cheaper than the Delta priced tickets and could do that through uh, Google Flights is where I found that. So. What is coach airing for everyone wondering like I am? So coach airing is, uh, it's the same flight, physically the same plane that travels from the U.S. to uh, London, but you have different uh, carriers that book tickets on them. So both Delta tickets and Air France tickets that go on the same plane, uh, but the prices aren't exactly the same. Yeah, and Air France, both times that we booked tickets yeah. to Europe, yeah. the first time being canceled, time. right, the first time we talked about the first time being canceled by COVID, and both times that we booked those flights, Air France was cheaper than just about anybody else. And quite a bit cheaper than Delta, the same flight. So we could so have booked strange. it on Delta for like 850 bucks a ticket, but we get it on Air France for like $500 a ticket. Which is nuts. Yeah. Um, and then... Tell them how we got a little bit of an extra discount because a lot of people that travel a lot, for example, I've talked about my friend Jennifer Flanders who went to Europe for free as far as their airline tickets because she had saved up so many points, will track their points with a credit card or, or they'll sign up for reward systems or travel points. And we did get another, I think, $50 off per ticket or something like that? Yes, by using, uh, I think it was Chase Ultimate Rewards on this particular round. The first time around, I actually booked it as a group reservation directly with Air France after finding it on Google Flights because we got cheaper tickets uh, that way as a group flight. So one thing you'll notice is that he leaves no stone unturned when it comes to the process of whatever tickets that he's booking. So he doesn't just say, oh, Google Flights has this, and if you've never heard of Google Flights, well, it's a great, great tool for being able to, like he said, just basically lay out all the prices in front of you and compare throughout dates if you have a window of time, as opposed to a specific weekend that you have to go, in which case you're just locked into whatever is available. But he doesn't just say, I'm looking at Google Flights and that's cheap. He then calls the airline and he checks with points and, and check different airports as well, because sometimes a regional airport will actually be cheaper if you're flying international than a, a major hub. Like you could fly out of our local hub uh, uh, several hundred dollars cheaper at certain times of the year than flying out of Dallas. Uh, doesn't make a lot of sense, but something about the airline booking system allows you to actually do that at times. Now, so. unfortunately, that was not the case for us. We ended up no, driving to Dallas, drive. but it wasn't, you know, it's two and a half hours away. It's not bad. Or right at two. So that's how we went about figuring out where to land and where to take off from. And then we had talked to the kids about where we wanted to go. So talk a little bit more about how you then created a master plan for our itinerary after that. Right. So in terms of itinerary, we basically just mapped it out. I mean, we're starting here. We're finishing here. Here are the places we want to go. And then how much time do we want in each place? And um, I talked it... to them about the fact that we started out with a 30 or 32 day trip, the first effort, the first attempt at this. And then we expanded that to 45 because of the concept that you mentioned, which is this may be the only time we ever do this. And the most expensive part of the whole trip in many ways, as far as one chunk is getting yourself there and back. 
And so for each person that you're putting down. And even though we found really good deals, that was still going to be true. That the one ticket that was going to cost the most for each person was getting there and back. So you might as well get your bang for your buck while you're there. So we did lengthen the amount of time we were going to stay in each place. Yeah. We didn't want it to be rushed, you know. Every day you're moving to a new place and you got all with, especially with 10 kids, plus uh, someone we brought with us. I mean, that's a lot of luggage and everything to pack in. Yes. And, and as anyone who has kids knows, they tend to distribute their paraphernalia pretty quickly. Uh, <laughs> so having to do that every day was not going to be ideal. So Or even wanted, every two days. Yeah. Uh, three three days probably minimum was what we wanted to do. It wasn't always the case depending on where we were going, but that was the target. So that kind of started to inform how long is this trip actually going to be. And then as far as uh, time, again, rental cars was a, a big deal because for our credit card insurance to cover the rental car, you have to be less than a month. You can rent for a month and the credit card will cover the insurance on the car. Uh, if you go over a month, it won't. So, And how just, much was the price difference between the credit card company covering the insurance and, or not? Right. So if I were having to pay insurance on two vehicles being rented for an entire month, I mean, you're talking about thousands of dollars and just the insurance fee that they would charge. Right. Um, so, so that's another thing that he was very strategic about. He called the car company and found out like exactly, or he, he knew, I guess, based on your credit card call, the credit card company and asked like, how far can we stretch this? So we'll talk about car rentals and things like that in a little bit, but back to how you were describing how you decided what our itinerary would be. Right. So once we had the major places that we were planning to go kind of figured out, then it kind of got into the point of digging into what are all the various activities that are available in those locations and um, both for kids that are younger in age, the older kids. And once you see what all you can do there, you know, that just kind of determined how long we were going to spend in each location. So uh, basically drilling down from the high level view, you got all these places. Here's the activities in those places. Here's how much time we need to be able to spend here to not feel too rushed, to still get in the major things we want to see, to have a, a down day or a, a buffer day in case rain or, or weather kind of keeps you from being able to do what you want to do. And then, you know, Location, location, figuring out how much time you need in each location. And uh, that kind of mapped out the itinerary. And then from there, you're really just looking at, you know, now where are we actually going to stay that will house 13 people? Right. So I've had a lot of people say things like, how in the world did you find places to stay in Europe? And there's actually a pretty easy answer to this one, which is... <laughs> Airbnbs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I saw someone on Instagram the other day that was talking about using a program called Home Exchange, which is a really cool idea. We did not do that because that would have been very complicated to have found homes in every location or even in some of them at all that had enough room and accommodations and a good setup for 13 people. But there is actually a free program you can use called Home Exchange where you basically offer your home to someone when you're not there and traveling and then you use their home when they're doing the same. Yeah, it's great for like swapping locations. Mm -hmm. But when you're doing a, a, an itinerary of multiple locations, it's not exactly easy to Well, do. this particular family was had stayed at a home exchange in Italy only, but they were staying other, they, it wasn't like they did a home exchange in every single one. So yeah, it, it makes it more complicated. But Airbnb, which is an app or a website, Verbo, another one, Yes, and, and 
There are surprising, a lot of people think that's just a U.S. thing, but it's it's everywhere. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of places available in, in throughout Europe or in the world. A lot um, of places. Now, there are fewer available when you have 13 people, yeah. uh, especially when you're going to certain places in Europe uh, <laughs> that don't exactly have uh, large places to stay. Yeah, we struggled in um, Austria. I feel like right in that Bavarian uh, yeah, area. Yeah, the that su- was hard. southern Germany and Austria honestly don't have a lot of Airbnbs, uh, at least not large ones. And Booking.com actually was our better bet in those locations. And now, now Booking.com doesn't have a lot of actual homes that you're renting. They do have some, but they have a system where you put in your dates and your number of people, and it'll say you can stay at this apartment complex that has all these type of rooms that you can find close to each other. Um, that will accommodate everybody and it automatically kind of does that for you um, which makes that process a lot simpler if you can't find a single place to stay and we ended up staying in a place called Berchtesgaden probably butchered that sorry for anybody that actually knows how to pronounce it correctly that was an inn and the guy was character he had been the bassist for Meatloaf and Tina Tina Turner Turner and quite a few other like known names but his parents were hoteliers, and his mom was like the head of the Ritz Carlton in Munich, and his dad was kind of the equivalent, like whoever the opposing. They weren't married <laughs> anymore, and I think they kind of were trying to outdo each other with these ritzy hotels. And his was not ritzy, but it was a very nice, well done inn in beautiful Bavarian countryside. And so we weren't all in the same room. But we were very close to each other, and it yeah. worked out well for our family. And we were the we, there were a couple of other guests staying, but we were the main yeah. people staying there because it wasn't a huge. It was like a little boutique hotel. Yeah, and in. there are a lot of boutique hotel type setups over there in that area. So which um, are not necessarily so much more expensive. And than, you're not going to find those on Airbnb. You're only going to find those on a Booking.com type site, or if you happen to already know about them. So. Yeah. Yeah, and, and again, they, they don't necessarily add up to like three times as much as a, a home or anything like that just because you're getting three separate suites. Pretty comparable, I would say, to what you would pay for Airbnb on a, on a grander scale in a bigger home. We did say we would talk about transportation, and our original goal was to find a large vehicle that would accommodate all of us, and we are so glad we failed in that yes. goal. Talk about why. Right, because when you're traveling through Europe, there are a lot of narrow alleyways and yeah. uh, low clearance areas that would make any kind of a lengthy vehicle extremely difficult to maneuver. Or tall vehicle. Or, or wide vehicle. Uh, or basically, just... any kind of large in any d- dimension. Very stressful. Yes. So, uh, two uh, vans, and I say vans in quotes here because they are not vans like you would get in the U.S. They're still quite a bit smaller than a typical minivan uh, in the They're U.S. They're just a little SUV, basically. Yeah. I mean, as uh, far as they what call we it think, a van, but it's, what we it's, think a, of in it's the US. a little small hatchback, uh, you know, is what, you know. Yeah, we got there, and we, thing. I'll talk about packing here in a minute, but we, I don't, I wouldn't say we packed light, but we definitely didn't pack crazy. It wasn't like everybody bring every last thing. We were trying to keep the packing down, but as soon as we saw these cars, Sean was like, oh, was oh my goodness. Yes, he was really, really stressing. It was a game of Tetris. For 13 sure. people's luggage plus double stroller uh, in two vehicles with the, the back of the vehicles maybe got 18 inches worth of uh, yeah. room in the back. Uh, not even 18 inches, maybe a foot worth of storage in the back. And we had one seat we could put down in one of the vehicles. Right. So we got 
14 total seats for bottoms, and one of those could go down for luggage. <laughs> How did we do this again? <laughs> it was it was a bit nuts. So where did you actually find these vehicles, and do you feel like you got the best deal, and how did you do that? So I, I tried a lot of different sites. Uh, the one I settled on that seemed to work the best for me for this was Kayak. I just uh, put in our dates, put in the six-plus passenger tick box, and uh, that pulled up the... Uh, the easiest way to search a large area for the different uh, rates and uh, availability of those type of vehicles in uh, the Paris area, which is where we were going to start with uh, renting the vehicles. So we originally were starting out, if you recall, in London and supposed to stay there for a week. But because of the coronation, we bumped our week in London till the end of the trip and started in Paris instead. I mean, we landed in London and immediately went to Paris the same day. Such a long travel, two days of travel. Nuts. But actually, talked about it went as well as it possibly could in many ways. And then that started the clock ticking on our car rental. So we knew that we needed, to, we were going to have to turn in the car before or right at that month mark. But we still had days left in our trip. So what, how did that work again? What did we do with the other 15 days of our trip? Uh, the first seven were in Paris and the last seven were right. in London. Okay, so yeah. yes, we did pick up our car in Paris, but yeah, we sure. were there for almost a week using public transportation. And then we did London for almost a week with public transportation. So that's that's how we got away with keeping the car to that one-month mark. Another option that didn't end up working in Europe for us but did work in Alaska was Turo, which is... A little bit like the home exchange situation, except it's not free, but it's individuals who are offering their own vehicles, or maybe they have a fleet of vehicles, but it's an individual who is booking through Turo. And we tried that too, but we just couldn't find what worked for our large group. But if you had a smaller group, that's another good option because some of those can be considerably cheaper and more flexible on certain things. And we used two vehicles when we went to Alaska in 2022, and that worked great. Yeah. for us. It was a really yeah. good experience. So we've covered transportation. We've covered itinerary. Uh, yeah. Just another word on transportation. I mean, we were warned about driving in Europe. Oh, yeah. um, a couple things we got warned about. One, driving in the Alps, you know, they were, they told us that the, there's these reflective mirrors on the side of the road. And the reason those are there is because if you come across somebody else on these narrow roads, then you're, you have to back your way back down the mountain so that they can get by you and and things like that and that the you know Italian drivers are crazy and going to be running you off the road and all these things and you know roundabouts yes roundabouts everywhere so the roundabouts 99% of the time are a breeze it's just easy right around even Unless though you don't do them around goofy here the app on your map is telling you take the second roundabout just kidding take the first roundabout and then you just end up going around and around the roundabout until it decides which one you're supposed to exit <laughs> not that that happened to me at all but overall roundabouts not a stressful situation though i would not recommend driving around the roundabout in uh the arc de triumph area uh, we did not and i'm very glad having seen it in on foot next it was to a bit it, nuts uh, would never do that or never recommend it <laughs> 
But the the Alps, where we were at the least, never a problem. No. No, no narrow roads that we chose to drive on. And the other thing we were warned about, oh, Italian drivers. I can't see that any of the drivers anywhere in Europe were any crazier than U.S. drivers. I would say it was about the same. I do opinion. feel like the Italians had their own flair. I mean, we didn't drive that much in Italian cities. We basically drove into Rome, which was not a big deal. But we had to find parking on the street in, you know, a very busy part of Rome. And we ended up circling the block probably six times until we could find some kind of makeshift parking where you just kind of shove yourself in there and parallel park, but not a big deal. It really wasn't. And then it's our cars stayed there parked and didn't get vandalized or have any problems with that. And we were there for four days, something like that. And we took public transportation otherwise. So we didn't drive in Rome very much. We drove a lot in other parts of Italy and it was normal. It was fine. Leaving Rome was okay. mildly hilarious. So I said, I say Italian drivers. I guess I should have clarified. Car drivers in Italy did not seem that crazy to me. The motorcycle drivers in the city, <laughs> absolutely insane. Yeah. Well, I was, and, and car drivers on the way out of Rome were kind of funny to me as well because between the crazy mopeds and motorcycle drivers that are just like squirting in between cars and like almost banging into the front of your fender. I, mean, I picture the salmon run in Alaska when <laughs> yes. you're, you're driving and you got, just picture the salmon going all over everywhere yes, around yes. everything. Those are the motorcycles. And, and if you're anywhere in South America or Central America, it's the same concept, which we don't do this in the U.S. But, I mean, people ride motorcycles, but not like that for the most part. But I will say, leaving, I was laughing because... We are in, I don't even, I don't even know how many lanes of traffic it was supposed to be, but I kept telling the people in my car, I want to see an aerial view of what is going on because there weren't really lanes of traffic so much as just this wide, like soup of traffic in the middle of Rome. And then it just kept getting narrower and narrower and people were just taking random spots and it cutting people off, you know, just... It was just like wherever you can take up space, take up space. And for the most part, nobody cared because as long as you were taking up space and not fully running over someone, <laughs> they were like, whatever, man. But this little old lady was putting along in her tiny European car. That's not an insult. I'm just saying it. It was small. She was taking up practically the entire interior of the vehicle. But she was not doing the aggressive taking up space thing that most everybody else was. And you really needed to be fairly aggressive. You needed to be confident. And this other lady was merging and this little old lady is putting along and the other lady is merging and they're both going to end up in the same spot at the same time. So the other lady gets up to her and the little lady beats her by about a hair and the other lady reaches out through her open window and bangs on the lady's car and attempts to physically push her out of the way with her hands. <laughs> like, this is different. So... Maybe maybe we just didn't drive in the right spots for the crazies, but that was I was laughing. It was it was an experience for sure. But for the most part, like driving on the yeah, highways, yeah, on, on the highways, it's it feels like driving in the U.S. Apart from the roundabouts, which are in a lot of ways better. Yeah, in, in yeah, fewer places. red lights. We didn't mind the roundabouts at all. So the last thing we got warned about uh, regarding driving in Europe was speed traps, uh, speed cameras specifically that we need to pay attention and and. You would send get tickets in the mail, basically, if you uh, sped in those uh, camera zones. And uh, that is very true for France, specifically. What are we up to? Uh, five at the last count. Oh, my goodness. Um, Listen, y'all. No, you're winning, though. It's four to one. So just, you know. But, anyway. <laughs> but here's the thing. 
I was almost always just following you. I, I know, and I don't can't explain that, but I mean, very rarely was I leading. <laughs> very rarely. So how in the world I've got four tickets when I basically <laughs> just stayed on his tail the whole time? I don't know. But, but in Italy, I'm sure we sped many times there and we didn't get a ticket one. But the Italians were driving faster than we were. So yes, that was they what were. I'd and and that's the other thing is like we were warned and we were trying to go the speed limit. Sometimes you didn't always know exactly what the speed limit was, but you would have a notification on your dashboard. So we were sticking to that. Like we were there was there was no effort to go above the notification on the dashboard. But like I guess we I guess we failed. Yeah. Oh, Fran oh. France is particular about it. Yes, they are. Another thing they're particular about is phone usage in your car. So I have to tell you this story. <laughs> We are driving, this is the end, very near the end of our trip. We've been in Switzerland. We are driving to France to drop, well, to Paris specifically to drop off our cars. And we went through so many toll stations. Toll stations were the bane of my existence <laughs> because, you know, like my ticket wouldn't work. The ticket would have like fallen down between the seats. I mean, this wasn't constant, but a couple of times we had some instances where Italy was like charging us the max amount possible because they have no patience for being like, the ticket's not working. They were like, fine, 55 euros. <laughs> like, what? No, your machine is spitting it out. Come on. So we were going through a little guard station and I thought that it was another full station. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on because I'm just following Sean and constantly trying to acclimate myself to new roads, new rules. We're pretty used to it at this point. This is the end of our driving, but Switzerland was different than France, was different than Italy, was different than Germany. So I'm thinking this is another toll station, but it looks different. So I'm watching the back of Sean's car, but I'm also like watching everything around me. Like, where? what are we doing? And then I look at my dashboard and I notice it has gone from 60 kilometers per hour to 10. And did you see any signs? I mean, I saw the sign for 10 after the 60. <laughs> outside the car? Yeah. Okay. So I did not see the signs outside the car, but I saw it on my dashboard. So I'm like basically slamming on my brakes because I'm like, whoa, that was very intense to drop 50 kilometers per hour. And as soon as I slam on my brakes, I see lights. And I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. That is like the speed trap to end all speed traps. And this French gendarme car pulls in front of me. And they start gesturing. <laughs> well, if you remember, I'm behind Sean. So that means they pull in between me and Sean. And they're so gesturing. So I see the lights behind me. Yeah. And I start to pull over. And in the U.S., obviously, we get pulled over from behind, not in front. Right. So I'm pulling over. And then he starts, sticks his hand out of his car side and is waving it, gesticulating all over the place. And I'm like... What does that what mean? What does that mean? <laughs> so, I, so I start to pull back off the road because it seems like he's not wanting me to stop. And then he pulls back behind me again. And so I pull back over again. Starts he starts gesticulating again. <laughs> and, and I know that I'm being pulled over. I know it's me because he did stick his head out backwards and look at me and point like very dramatically. Oh, well, I didn't see that. So, <laughs> so I tried this whole maneuver one more time and he pulls up besides me and, and says... Go, go, go. I'm not pulling you over. So I know I'm being pulled over. And I think it's because I've gone 50 miles or 50 kilometers per hour over the speed limit for about 10 feet. Because, I mean, I saw it change on my dashboard almost immediately and, like, slow down drastically. So Sean finally kind of pulls off slowly, uncertainly, and drives off into traffic. And he's gone. 
And keep in mind, I'm not supposed to use my phone to call him or anything. So I'm like, okay, this is going to be interesting. Um, and, and this police car leads me for almost a mile. We are going through stoplights and turns. I'm like, I have no idea where I am. I praise the Lord for GPS, but I'm very lost right now. I don't know where my husband is. So we finally get to this spot that seems random to me because we've passed a bunch of spots that he could have pulled me over in, but instead he does this like turn and we pull into this kind of gravel parking lot and the guy comes up and he very sternly says something to me in French and I say, Anglais. And he says, Ugh, and points to his friend, the other policeman. And the other policeman comes over and he says, you, we pulled you over because you're on your phone. And <laughs> my brain is going, I was not. But I don't think I was not is going to go very well, you know? And so the only thing I can think is I have directions on my dashboard, but I have that they're coming from my phone. And I definitely remember I was describing watching Sean, watching this little guard thing we were going through, looking at my dashboard. I was not on, I was neither talking on my phone nor looking at the screen. And I thought, did I have it in my hand because I was checking directions? So I do know now that not only can you not make a call or text or any of those things, but you cannot have the phone in your hand, which I did not realize. But I couldn't have told you that I had it in my hand because I wasn't attempting to use it. So all I could think was, I said, maybe I was looking at directions and the man leans in and he looks at my screen, which is black because my car is off and then looks at me very suspiciously. But I'm thinking like, you know, like, no, I didn't. You know, it's just not going to fly. So then he says... Well, I need your license and I need your gray papers. And I'm like, I don't know what these are. So I'm just staring at him blankly and my mind is racing. And I'm thinking, how do I intelligently tell him that I don't have what he needs from me, except for the license, of course. So I say, uh, gray papers? Um, is that something specific to Switzerland? And he looks so affronted. I mean, annoyed, all the words. He pulls his chin back and he looks at me and says, Switzerland? You are in France. <laughs> you know those moments like in a movie where everything's going slow and then all of a sudden it speeds up and there's like this moment of clarity and distinct like, oh, light bulb. I'm like that little guard thing we went through. Oh my goodness. We just crossed over into Switzerland. That was what? Oh, that's why it went down to 10 kilometers per hour. That's why they were waiting there. It wasn't a speed. I mean, it was a whatever trap, you know, but like if you're coming into our country and you're doing something wrong, we're going to nab you basically. Yeah. So I, my mind is still just trying to figure out, but I look pretty clueless and dumb, which ended up working in my favor because I kind of was clueless and dumb in that moment. And I said, well, um, and then he says something like, what about your green papers? And if you're in France and you know what these are, and I'm butchering this, I apologize. Again, I was trying to process a lot of things at one time. And he asked for me for a different kind of paper. So I was like, I don't think I have those either, but my husband has driving permits and, you know, things like that. And he looks in the car and it's, you know, it's Rachel, the girl that came with us, my girls and Shiloh. And he looks confused. He says, your husband. And I said, he was in the car in front of you that kept <laughs> pulling over. And they both look at each other. And it was like, oh, shoot. You know, you could tell that they were like, oh, dear. Awesome. We've pulled over this tourist lady with all these kids in this car and we've separated her from her husband who has all of her legal documents minus her license. <laughs> and he goes, Oh, that was your husband. Hmm. And then he picks up my license and he looks at it and he says, Oh, Texas. He loves Texas to the guy that doesn't speak English 
who smiles and nods, and I smile and nod very enthusiastically. <laughs> Me too. And the guy stands there and scratches his chin and looks at my license and finally says, you know, I'm going to let you go. Don't be on your phone anymore. I'm still thinking I wasn't, but, you know, using self-control. And I hope you find your husband. (laughs) (laughs) So we actually did end up completely separated as a result of that. Completely different routes, but we ended up in the same spot. We did eventually make it all the way back to Paris. But I would say that most of the warnings about driving were completely unwarranted. And driving was great, and we had a really good experience. The Autobahn was really fun. You literally can drive as fast as you want to drive. And I think we got up to... As fast as the car can go. As fast as... We (laughs) did actually go as fast as... Our our feet were all the way to the floor, and I think we were going, I don't know, 105, 110, Uh, somewhere in that range. No, 160 It was 170 kilometers per hour. So whatever that is. I think it's like 108 miles something like that you can do the math so that was fun so just long stretches of just flying but yeah the the driving thing if you're intimidated by that i would say don't be it it, i I don't think either one of us are intimidated drivers as a general rule we're both fairly confident drivers stay out of rome other part from that you'll be fine (laughs) (laughs) agree i wouldn't have i wouldn't have wanted to drive in paris very much either oh no yeah just stay out of the cities you'll be fine um okay what else do we need to talk about I'm trying to think what we haven't covered yet. Um, People have asked me a lot about packing, which was more my side of things. And I will link the actual backpack that we used. I bought them after tons of research for our first attempt at this European trip. But we have used them for our trip to Alaska. We've used them when we've gone to Colorado. We've used them when we've gone to Beaver's Bend for the weekend. Yeah, they've held up really well. They've held up really well. Some of them are starting to tear up a little bit, but they've gone through a lot. I think one got burned. Oh, that was a different, that was a different one. But yes, we we might have had one sitting on top of a burner and then have a kid turn the burner on and melt part of it. Uh, And then we were frantically scraping on the burner because this was in Germany and everything was perfect and clean and very, very neat. And they did not want burned plastic on their burners, which I don't blame them. So I'll link those backpacks for you because they have a full sized adult size and they have a junior size. And then I'll also link the backpacks that I got from a travel brand called Tobik, Tobik, I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce it, that have compartments. And I used the kids that were old enough, carried their own backpacks. And of course we carried our own backpacks. And then the Tobik allowed you to have compartments for each child. So I actually fit four kids belongings into actually, yep, four kids belongings, the Twinbees, Shiloh and Honor into one backpack. So 45 days, how many outfits did we take? Well, we certainly were not interested in having a new outfit every single day. So we took about a week's worth of clothing for each of us and two pairs of shoes. So a pair of sneakers and a pair of flip-flops or natives or water shoes were what we ended up with. And it worked really well. I would say we probably overpacked a little bit. We could have done with fewer things, except for in the cases of like the Twin Bees, because they soil things so quickly that we really needed to go through more outfits for them, which was fine. The overpacking wasn't major, and I was happy to have options sometimes, like, you know, if we had gone somewhere and been rained on or gotten muddy or whatever. And obviously, when you have Airbnbs as opposed to hotels, you have access to washing machines, which is huge. We only didn't have access in about two places 
In one case, we ended up paying for laundry service for two days, which was not cheap at all. But, and we found out afterwards that we could have asked for laundry service from the Airbnb. So there you go. If you end up in an Airbnb that does not have an actual washer and dryer on the premises, be sure to ask your host because they might have something somewhere that they'll let you pay a small fee because it was going to be a small fee instead of 50 euros, which is what we ended up paying. So yeah, the ability to do laundry and their washing machines and dryers are much smaller than the American capacity as a general rule. We had a couple that were larger, but the ability to do that laundry up to several loads a day, our first place that we stayed had the tiniest washer and dryer. I mean, it was just, you could fit about five things per load. So we were constantly, and one thing that was unique to us, and if you're a European listener, then you're going to be like, duh, how does anybody do anything differently than this, was that the dryers were ventless and worked by evaporating the water, condensation drying, so that you had to take out a, like a tank and pour all of the water that had been pulled out of the clothes out. And if the tank got too full and you forgot to do that, it just wouldn't dry them, obviously, because there was nowhere for the water to go. So that was a little bit of a learning curve because it took a lot longer. And then the loads were smaller, but we just stayed on top of it. And every now and then, if we didn't stay on top of it or something, we didn't have a dryer in one spot in Rome. Well, the only spot we stayed in Rome. We ended up with, you know, all of our clothes strewn all over the room, draped over the back of chairs. But basically, my point is, it was doable. And taking a smaller amount of clothing is definitely less stressful than feeling like you need a change of clothes for every day for two weeks, even. Yeah, we basically just told the older kids, you have a backpack. If you can fit it in your backpack, that's what you get to take. And then we also allow them to take one personal item. So sketchbooks, books, stuffies, you know, blankets, whatever. Obviously, with little kids, you have more paraphernalia, but I still kept the paraphernalia down to one backpack, and that was basically our airplane backpack or train backpack where we had snacks, we had sippy cups, we had coloring books and toys and little like mini etch-a-sketches, and that's another thing that was my job was to research all of that and decide, you know, what would best distract them. Most of it worked pretty well. I mean, they have pretty short attention yeah. spans, but we could cycle through different things. Um, as long as it's new to them when they're on the plane, you know. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's, they, <laughs> it's they're, they're interested in it. Car rides, jumping backwards, we had quite a few longer car rides. So up to seven hours, probably. So we had to factor those into our amount of time that we stayed in Europe as well because we weren't taking a sleeper train. We weren't doing little hopover flights. We were doing long drives from France all the way to Italy, from Italy all the way to Germany, from Germany all the way to Switzerland. And so five, six, seven hours, we probably had six or seven travel days like that. We still managed to fit in things that we wanted to do. And we would often try to combine those longer travel days with, or driving days with something fun. Like one day we went to Assisi, which turned out to be, a, Great yeah, it was a very pleasant surprise. It's a walled city up on a hill in Tuscany. And it's just gorgeous and clean and has cute shops. and Wasn't crowded. Wasn't crowded, which I've been told by readers is because it's kind of a hidden gem that nobody but locals really frequent very often. So there's that. I highly recommend. We only spent about four or five hours there and then we went on with our drive. But it was a great way to break it up and we enjoyed it so much. Amazing views. I mean, up high and just the patchwork quilt Italian countryside. It was really gorgeous. So we would try to break things up that way, but our kids ride in the car well, audiobooks, 
are a must. Blasting music is a must. But for the most part, they're pretty used to that, so they did pretty well. And then probably one of the other big things that people ask about is how do you feed a family that big when you are not in your home environs? Want to talk about that? Yeah, so with a lot of little kids, you, you don't want to change it up too much, honestly. So uh, we would find local small markets uh, as much as possible to get the staples, uh, such as such as they have them that compare to what we have in the U.S. You know, peanut butter sandwiches, yogurt, turkey slices, turkey which slices, lunch meat yeah. slices are really not a thing there. I mean, they'll have the more kind of elevated charcuterie style salamis and things, but you know, our three-year-old is our two-year-old twins are not into salami, so. It was kind of hard to find some equivalents. Not that we weren't wanting to eat anything. We wanted to sample the local fare, but that's we, Sean and I, right. not the two-year-olds. Little kids do not want to. They don't care about. The, no, they don't care about culture. culture. <laughs> so you kind of you want to help them care a little bit about culture, but also not completely turn their world any more upside down than you've already done. Yeah, it's hard enough to get them to try what you make new at home. Yeah, yeah. So we did lots of market trips. We did lots of farmer's markets, if we could ever find any kind of just open-air fresh thing. Lots of open-air eating, which the weather could not have been better on this trip. Praise the Lord. He was so gracious for the weather to be... I mean, it just could not have been better. It rained a little bit on our way out of Paris after that first week. It rained... Hailed on us. Oh, okay. Yeah, not then. <laughs> but we had a freak hailstorm when we were in the French countryside heading to our rental in Normandy, which I should link for you in the show notes because it was the most magical rental. Incredible. It was a 16th century castle and the exterior just looked like something out of a movie. And the interior was like, it was nice, but it was rustic and it was old. It was but, old. But it, it was, was genuinely cool. old. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. It wasn't just, it wasn't falling down decrepit old. It was just cool. And the grounds were gorgeous. It was just, yeah, it's such a surprise. We we had seen. Let's just say that whoever took the pictures for that rental does not know how to do justice to what they've got on their hands. Because I'd forgotten about it and was not really particularly excited about it. We started driving up the drive, and I was like, "What is this amazingness?" So, for example, there we, oh oh oh. So before we got there, though. As we're driving through country lanes and turning around about four or five times because yeah, was, things are not well marked and yeah, that one was hard to find. All of a sudden, hail starts coming down and I think maybe like little chestnuts are dropping out of trees or something. And then it's and then it's like big hail. It's not the little bitty tiny stuff. It is, you know, gumball sized. And, and I'm like, we're going to put that uh, credit card insurance on the cars to I the test. I know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, we expected to have dents. We tried to find trees to shelter under and prayed for the best. And we didn't end up with any yeah, dents in our right. car, which is amazing because it was about, I mean, it was just kind of this freak storm that lasted several minutes and then was done. Other than that, and maybe a little bit of rain in an afternoon in Italy. Uh, well, on when we were leaving Marseille. Uh, heading through Nice, it was pouring rain. Oh, okay. That's why we couldn't go to Nice. That was the one thing we didn't do uh, that was on the itinerary. That's true. That's true. So other than that, we had fantastic weather. So we were able to eat, and, and we're currently in an absolute like extreme heat warning 
heat wave here in East Texas. It's miserable to go outside. It's 106 before the heat index and our humidity is high, so the heat index is not good. You kind of fry your thighs on the leather seats every time you climb in the car and you're sweaty just from unloading groceries. It's awesome, but not. And so the fact that the temperatures were 70 degrees, you know, 66 degrees, 80 would be extremely hot and there's no humidity and no bugs. So yeah, it was amazing. So we would do outdoor eating constantly. Now, did we eat at restaurants? Yes. But the goal was to not <laughs> as much as possible, except in, you know, special occasions or just kind of when you couldn't avoid it because everybody was starving and you were getting in too late. And every now and then the bill ran really high and it was depressing because it just hurts to realize that you just ate all that money. Like you don't get anything other than that. Yeah, rather embarrassingly, I think we ate more McDonald's there than we've eaten the entire time we've been married. Uh, that's probably and that's, true. That's still only like three times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, I wouldn't say we're McDonald's fans. I'm now Chick Fil A. I'm there once a week, but but when you have 13 people in a new place, convenience does help, and that was what was convenient a few times. So yeah, well, I mean, not just convenient. That was all that was available. Sometimes, you know, if you're from the U.S. and you're used to the here's the exit with seven different fast food options, like mm -hmm. doesn't exist at least in the places that we were driving through. So but. Uh, the toll stops, the gas stations in general have very good food. Yeah. So if you have the option of a gas station or McDonald's, I highly recommend the gas station. Yeah, same. So they're like, they're prepared sandwiches and salads and yeah, they're really good. Actually quite quality ingredients and very tasty. So no, I couldn't say the same for McDonald's. Sorry. No, no. People kept telling me, well, McDonald's is just better in Europe. And I can attest that it is not, it is still not my favorite. And if you're a McDonald's lover, I apologize, but we are dogging on it and we're not backing down from that. <laughs> so food, of course, is a big cost. And some days were more expensive than others. And some days weren't bad at all. Some days we were eating, you know, just snacky foods. And we ate eggs for breakfast. And we had a picnic for lunch. And yes, we had to feed 13 of us every time we did it. But it really wasn't nearly what people probably would imagine that the food bill would be for that day. But then there was another time where our host supplied our meal and we tried to negotiate a good price and we thought that we had like bargained down to like the little kids don't need to be charged because they're not going to eat, you know, and all this stuff. And then he charged us for every single person like we were the primo adult gourmet meal. And it was a really good meal, but it was a really high bill too. And you can't get out of it at that point because you've already eaten the food. So that was, that was a bit of a bummer. But I do think to encourage you, because I get a lot of questions from families that want to travel and think, oh my goodness, I have to take small children into a restaurant environment where we're going to be obnoxious and annoying people. Not because I believe children are obnoxious and annoying, but because people can be annoyed by children's normal behavior, which is wiggling, getting out of their seats, squealing, you know, throwing food on the ground, knocking water over, all of those things. And be really intimidated by the fact that that's going to be your reality for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and it just doesn't have to be. There were lots of good options for doing things kind of more family style or picnic style, and those were the options that we gravitated towards, and our kids loved it. Yeah. They really liked having, an, like, we would buy fruit, and everybody could try something different. We would buy drinks, and everybody could try different things, so that worked out really well. I would say that that was Yeah, I don't think going out to eat... Uh, has to be what makes the the food special. It's finding those little 
local things that are different to add to your meals that the kids remember like sparkling apple juice is a big thing over there and the kids absolutely loved it so all you have to do is go buy some sparkling apple juice to go with your you know meal you got from the grocery store and all of a sudden it's special yeah. and it was it was good yeah i was about to say he said the kids absolutely loved it <laughs> he might or might not have spent several minutes googling how to find sparkling apple juice in america and being very sad that he hasn't found the equivalent thereof so i liked it too but he especially you really liked very it good. yes it is Okay, so I think that covers the main questions that we've been asked and the main things that Sean can help us out with. I know that the question that's burning in all of your minds is how much did this whole thing cost? And we are not going to tell you that number, both because we haven't done the final tally. <laughs> kind of don't want to know. <laughs> and because the kind of trip that we chose to do and the kind of trip that someone else might choose to do, the itinerary that we ended up with and the itinerary that you might end up with, the places that we had to stay as opposed to a place where someone could stay that had only two children, the things that we prioritized as far as special outings. So a hot air balloon ride, a paragliding experience. I feel like you and the boys went fishing. And, you know, just certain things were worth a splurge to us. Because it was a memory. And other things we just skipped altogether. Even if people told us this is what you should do. You know, you should take the New Schwanstein Castle, you know, guided tour. Well, no. That's pretty much if it was <laughs> if it was a guided tour of something, we almost always said no and did not pay extra for that. Because guided tours with tons of small children are a joke. You're like, what did he say? I can't hear the guided tour. So we would take the option of you know, having the little earbuds in and it was still a bit of a hot mess trying to listen to anything. So we did the best that we could with that. So I really feel like our numbers aren't going to match anybody else's numbers. Your numbers aren't going to match somebody else's numbers. And the best thing to do is exactly what we've given you some tools to do in this episode, which is your own research and to find out what works for your family and to find out what your priorities are because you may want to stay in a much nicer place than we stayed in, or you may want to stay in a, in a hostel like, you know, and your price is going to be vary by hundreds of thousands. euros, thousands of euros, because you could stay in some super swanky spot and pay a ton per night. And most people with families are not going to do that, but we're not going to be able to help you with that. And then again, my friends that traveled to Europe and did it on such an amazing budget, and I'll link to some of her ways that she did that. This is my friend Jennifer Flanders in the show notes as well, because they not only traveled for free on airfare, they stayed in hostels for free in many cases or for very small amounts of money. And they didn't take um, flights or use cars because they would go on sleeper trains to maximize their amount of time. And that's another thing. They packed so many things into their itinerary because their family personality is to go, go, go and get it all in. And we wanted, in some cases, four or five days. Um, we didn't mention this specifically. I think I did in the first episode about this, but we stayed for six days in the French countryside and we did do some outings from our home base, but it was just a chill, almost yeah. full week. And it was fantastic. We yeah. really needed that time to not have something to constantly do. And again, we had three toddlers with us. A different vacation with a different set of ages would be a totally different story. Absolutely. You would be able to go, go, go more and without as much wear and tear on emotions and energy levels. So we're just encouraging you that, one, it can be done. To travel with your family. It can be done on a variety of budgets. It can be done on a variety of location preferences and any other variables you want to throw in there. Two, 
it can be done in a way that really honors your family's culture. And that may sound kind of like a touchy-feely thing to say, but I do think it's important to know what your family priorities are before you go into a trip like this because we talked this through so much and hashed it through so many times that we felt like we had a pretty good idea of what to expect. And I feel like our expectations were fairly well met yeah. and or exceeded as opposed to... I would say the exception to that being that our kids didn't really understand what city travel was like because we haven't done tons of that. We've mostly gone more rural places or outdoorsy places. And they were a little disappointed with, say, Paris or, I mean, pretty much everywhere we went, the cities were their least favorite because of public transport being stressful, because of things being dirty, because of things being smelly. I think I mentioned this in the first episode. So... Maybe not every expectation was met. Paris fell well below my twin girl's expectation. But for the most part, we talked it through so much and prayed about it and planned it and did as much as we could, like I said in that first episode, that we could do to do our due diligence with our hands open and saying, if the Lord wills and this all works out. Praise be that he did will it to all work out, even more so than we had hoped. Because not only could it be a trip of a lifetime, we may not get to go again. It was. Like, it was. Exceeded all expectations, really. Yeah. Yeah, so so enjoyable. So, um, I think this wraps us up for the topic of Europe. If you have any more questions for me that I haven't touched on yet, or you just want more of Sean, because who doesn't? Not like then you can submit them to my social media at m.is.4.mama on Instagram. You can DM me there. I might put a question box about a third podcast episode on this if there's anything that I missed, though I think I've touched on the main things. And uh, if you guys come up with more questions for me, I'll answer those next week. But for now, I will sign off and thank my nice husband for being on here. Thanks, babe. My pleasure. Yep. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. guys enjoyed today's program i would be so honored if you would subscribe and share with others and if you're looking for more daily content on motherhood and biblical responses to cultural issues you can follow along on instagram at m.is.4.mama